This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I am your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. I felt like a real TV host just then. Like, oh, I yeah. felt like a real, like, I am your host. You've got you got a know? legit setup. Well, you know, and always, as you can hear, <laughs> joining me is the founder of The Witness, very extensive bio. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. Dr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, brother? JamarTisby.substack.com. Be there. Anyway. I said, what's going on, brother? Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Just forgot that part of the intro. I, hey, man, look. <laughs> I didn't do it last episode either. I trust you. I can't, I can't carry all your promo. You got to cut your own promo, bro. Legendary intro. Hey, man, y'all got to raise my salary by like one cent if you're going to get me. If you're gonna get me. <laughs> we might, we might can make that happen. But we're back here in the studio at St. Stephen Church. If you cannot see us, you ought to see the setup. Go to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic become a patron and you will get access to these videos as well as the yeah, they audio. switch the colors back here everything oh, yeah. you, you can't see it behind you but they switch the colors okay, okay. Switch okay. The colors is nice bro. it's nice so shout out to the family here listen man we got to talk about something we didn't get a chance to talk about this but everybody's talking about coach prime bro man, we've been talking about it for weeks everybody talking about prime time deon sanders jsu hbcus Colorado. Now, why he go to Colorado? I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> that's, that's you can't go to question. just... Right, right. Colorado. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Deion Sanders, of course, is a legendary NFL player who retired and then got into coaching. Also legendary baseball player Baseball well. player, yeah, dual so. sport professional. One of these guys who just phenomenally athletically gifted body and mind, right? I think the only player, if I'm not mistaken, to play in a Super Bowl, only athlete to play in a Super Bowl and in a World Series. Unreal. So Dion, and, and growing up watching him, yes. you know, when he played with the Cowboys and when he played with the Niners, like growing up watching him, I mean, there was nobody like him. He was electric. He was gifted. And he almost had this... Uh, preternatural gift for the moment. Yes, yes. And he knew what to do, when to do yes. it. And and what's interesting is both of the players that we're talking about are, and now coaches that we're talking about, uh, both Deion Sanders and Ed Reed were both like this. Mm. They both had this capturing the moment. Yes. And if you go back and look at Ed, look at Ed Reed highlights. Go back and watch Ed Reed highlights when he played <laughs> with the Ravens. I'm going to tell you, some of the most electrifying highlights from a defensive player. Mm. It's almost like whenever he would get an interception, it was like he was shot out of a cannon. It was like it was a planned thing. Because it was so, he's just so, um, I don't know, just so dynamic in the moment. And that's exactly how Prime was. So for those of you who don't know, Prime wanted to get into coaching a few years ago. And his in his desire to get into coaching, of course, it's an interesting time to get into coaching, pre-pandemic, things of that nature. He was trying to get on as an assistant coach at 
you know, some power five schools, right? The ACC schools, Florida State, which is his alma mater, Miami, places like that. And um, he couldn't get in the door, Mm. couldn't get in the door. So he decides to take a head coaching job at JSU. Now, a couple of things happened before then. I think this is important to note that there was one HBCU, I'm not remembering specifically the one, but one HBCU helped him to finish his education so that he would qualify mm. to be a head coach. Mm. So that was also something very important. So yeah. the HBCU helped him part to, of story. you know, mm-hmm. that's part of the story. And then he comes on at JSU. And he had coached at high school level as Absolutely, well. so yeah. He had coached at high school, high school level, so he was very gifted at that, but trying to break into college coaching, yep. Yep. right? And in the pursuit of his dreams while also trying to coach his sons at the college level, which is very special mm-hmm. and exciting, he goes to Jackson State. And so when he goes to Jackson State in the SWAT conference, this is an HBCU. People are excited about it. And all this attention gets drawn to JSU. Unbelievable. And you're attention. not even like a super – I don't consider you a big sports guy, but at the same time, I know you saw this. Oh, yeah. Well, college football is my thing because I went – to Notre Dame, go Irish, um, but also Not Jackson in HBCU. State. Also, Jackson <laughs> State is part of the story because I took my first graduate exactly. course in history yep. at Jackson State. Lived in Jackson, Mississippi for five years. Saw the love and the pride for JSU. Also, that it had fallen on hard times, even though as HBCUs goes go, it's one of the largest and, and most well funded. It still was not anywhere near the level of support and resources or attention right. that it really deserved. And when Coach Prime came, mm-hmm. all eyes on, like you said, the ability to show up in the moment. Like we we don't really give Deion Sanders as much credit as he deserves for just being savvy um, with, with attention and marketing. Mm-hmm. And he was able to bring, like it's one thing that you played in professional sports, right? But to be able to bring all of that access, all of that attention, so many of those resources to bring it to bear on your new position as head coach at an HBCU was something that felt uniquely suited for Coach Prime. And, And I think, you know, there are three elements of this that I found to be very interesting. Number one, his presentation as a coach was completely different, right? So he definitely used the non-denominational black preacher template. (laughs) Like definitely, definitely, definitely word of faith preacher template, you know, the the alliteration, the cadence, all that. Just Uh, like the way he spoke. Game recognized game. We know what's up. We know what's up. So there was was definitely that. But then also um, there was this tremendous ability to do social media marketing. There it is. And his social media marketing and him capturing that, doing hype videos and really rallying people around and his confidence. And right. his confidence, Which right? He's the always confidence had. and the swagger transferred now to a coaching <sighs> environment. And then his ability to rally players together yes. and draw attention. And so I didn't have the privilege of going to an HBCU. And so you could tell that there was even energy in that. There was so much energy, there was attention being drawn. And that's a good thing, right? Well, that's a quick a good story thing. related to that is Notre Dame is not an HBCU in any way, shape, or form. But if there was an HBCU on campus, it was the football team because the most of the, right. most of the black right. most of the players were black, and I saw the difference. I was there in these terrible Coach Bob Davy years, but then I was also there for Tyrone Willingham, mm-hmm. who was the first black head coach of Notre Dame football. And related to this conversation about Deion Sanders and Jackson State, 
when Tyrone Willingham came on board and understood the players at a level no head coach could ever do previously, you could literally see the pride mm. on players' faces. They were already big, looked like they got bigger. They walked yeah. a little taller, shoulders back straight. Finally, it felt like they sensed that, that finally we have somebody at the top who gets us. Right. And I can imagine it was a similar effect, different in that they had had black head coaches, but finally we have somebody whose very presence reminds people of our dignity. And, and, and then he grabs the number one recruit Ooh, in the country yes. from his alma mater and Travis Hunter. And then he's recruiting people. People are transferring. The team's playing extremely Everybody well. Everybody wants to play for Coach Prime. Yes. Everyone wants to play for him. Seems like a fun atmosphere. And then there were rumors that he was getting head coaching offers or entertaining of them. Uh, a couple of people had asked him this in journalistic moments in 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 journalism. They'd asked him, "Hey, so uh, you know, if you get a head power five head coaching offer, he'd be like, well, I have to entertain that. Yeah, you know, I'd have to think about it. I have to look at it.' And then the news comes out slowly but surely that he's going to be moving to Colorado and probably going to be taking all the best players <laughs> at chance right. with him in the transfer portal now. I don't know if he would have necessarily, in fairness, been able to do this in the way that he he did or if he would have done this without the adjustment to the transfer portal rules. Mm. So normally what happens is you you have to wait a year before you can actually play once you transfer. So you have to redshirt a year afterwards. And in some cases, maybe even longer than a year with some exceptions, maybe it's shorter, but typically, you know, before a few years ago, it was just, you had to wait a year. But then there were so many cases of coaches that were kind of leaving athletes high and dry that they changed and adjusted it to where if you, you can play immediately. So it's almost like, you know, free agency, you know, yeah, so you can, yeah. you can play immediately. You can transfer. You say, okay, well, now I want to see what's, what's at this other college and this other campus. And it's created a lot of turmoil because a lot of the kids are, are dealing with, Okay, now I transferred. I don't have another scholarship somewhere because the transfer portal is over full. And, yeah. But Dion can directly pull from his yep. JSU best talent gifts and directly pull straight to Colorado, which is a struggling program on the West Coast. It's a struggling program. It's not the bastion of, of, of football excellence. <laughs> and now he can not just command a top dollar salary, but offer these JSU, former JSU athletes, tremendous facilities, opportunities, national attention. Right. And so he leaves. But coaches leave all the time. Like, what's the big deal? (laughs) So here's the, okay, is this a, (laughs) Jamal's like, Jamal's like, okay, and? Like, like, like you talk about a, a, a very flashy coach moving from one school to another. I mean, transfers and, and shuffling like this happens all the time. What's so special? about Coach Prime and Jackson State. Here's the deal. <laughs> in early, I believe it was 2020, when he came on as Jackson State's head coach, he said he could have gone to another school. He could have gone to other places. I don't know if, if he could have. There's dispute about that. But like, <laughs> he says, I could have done this, could have done that. But this is this is the key here. He says, God called me to Jackson State. Yeah, I remember that. God told me that I have to go to Jackson State. 
it is always very interesting and always sometimes a bit precarious when you use the words God told me. Now, I come from a Pentecostal background, of course, as you know. And so the idea of God telling me, hearing that, I've heard that, I've said that sometimes different people mean different things, right? Nine times out of 10, people don't mean they heard the audible voice of God. Sometimes they mean they bear, their, their spirit bared witness with something mm. or they felt led to do something mm-hmm. or they felt convicted to do something or they felt moved to do something. And then other times it's just because they wanted to do it and then they put God in it. <laughs> That's right. Right? Yeah. So it was a little bit, I think, of people, and, and I can't speak for you know, HBCU alumni and professors and uh, people, but I, I can tell that a lot of people felt like, okay, so you came in here promising change and you delivered on that. But you also promised to materially change the attention mm. for HBCUs. And that God told you to. And that God told you to. And that you said it would be, why do we have to go to the big power five schools? Why do we have to go to these flashy schools? Why do we have to go to the ACC schools? Why do we have to go to the Pac-10 schools? Why do we have to do that, right? And he was making the case and the argument, oh, you... We can, we can do it just as good here. Right. But then you leave. And so it brought up the question, and, and some people use the word sellout. That's not really what I'm, I'm bringing up. But it brought up the question of what is the equity of coming in with big, bold ideas about what you're going to do to change and then leaving before the change is actually institutionalized? Right, right, right. Not, we can see the change that's on the surface. Yeah. But leaving before it's institutionalized, leaving before it's systemic, leaving before it changes from the foundation. And then now with when you when you came, the attention was with you. When you left, the attention still with it's you. It's going to follow you. Yep. And so now what does Jackson State do now? That's right. That's right. What do these schools do now? Right. So that, that's one angle of it that I felt like was very a lot of people were talking about that particular angle of it because you said God told you to. <laughs> and and he was there for such a short amount of time, three years, right? And and in that three years was incredibly successful and effective. Uh, won the SWAC conference twice, I think, yep. had an undefeated regular season this last year. Um, so it wasn't just him being there. It wasn't even just the attention. It was the kind of attention they were winning. They had college game day. ESPN comes and and every week chooses one matchup to cover in person. And that hardly ever happens at an HBCU. Right. Yeah. And it, they they college game day at Jackson State. And 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 with that attention and especially because it's a football program, dollars come behind it, you know, good, you know, student and alumni pride, all of that stuff. So I think the fact that he was that successful also played into it, right? He wasn't just there. He was there and he was winning. And it felt like it was just beginning. Well, and okay, so let's give it from Coach Prime's perspective in fairness, right? So he says, you know, in this coaching game, if you're not, if you don't elevate, you get eliminated or something like that. There was Mm. some alliteration that he used. So you have to elevate or else, right? Yeah, yeah. He also said that the facilities at Jackson State just weren't up to par. Yeah. He also said that he was having to pay for stuff. 
right? He also said that he was having to get a reduced salary based upon the constraints of the school. Right. So he's working in conditions, according to him, that aren't conducive to long-term success, winning transformation, which leads me to our second case study, right, which is Ed Reed. So Ed Reed, who is, once again, University of Miami, one of the greatest safeties ever, both in college and in uh, the, the NFL, he decides that right after this, right after Prime moves to Colorado, he's going to get in the mix and go to Bethune-Cookman. Another HBCU. Another in HBCU Florida. in Florida, right? Yep. I, I know Bethune graduates, Bethune alumni, all the above. And so he decides he's going to go there. Now, he goes there. Everyone's doing the splash. This is Coach Prime, you know, part two, 2.0, what have you. And then he comes out on IG Live and blasts me. There's trash in my office. There's trash everywhere. And he's cussing at, cussing at the camera, everything. And people are like, yo, wait a minute now. And so all of a sudden, HBCU alumni and people like pushing back on it. And then after a couple of weeks, it comes out that Bethune decides he was actually in the advanced stages of a hiring process. So he didn't officially have a contract yet. <laughs> and he, which is, you know, don't Rookie play yourself. Mistake here. Yes. Don't play yourself. So he wasn't officially the head coach. And then what comes out, he's, he's removed. They decide not to move forward. And so he gives this impassioned plea on IG Live to his to his students, to his players. They're crying. They're emotional about it because they saw an opportunity similar yeah. to JSU. Yeah. He said he was bringing high dollar donors like Shaq and other people that were going to pour money into the school. But he said the conditions were bad. Then players came out and said. They are. We got mildew and mold in our helmets. We got mold in our dorm rooms. We got this. These are bad. These are bad conditions. Mm -hmm. And so Ed Reed's like, see? Right. And Dion's like, see, we can't make it like this. This is this is real insider stuff that is hard to understand if you haven't been meaningfully engaged with black institutions mm. from churches to talk about rent. this. Talk about this. Y'all, we have done so much with so little. Hmm. And, and we've talked about this as the witness, as a black nonprofit, right? What we're often called to do is fund and resource our own endeavors. Remember, schools like Jackson State, Bethune-Cookman, uh, some of those were land-grant institutions after the Civil War, yes. many of them privately funded, right? So we've been called upon to resource our own institutions out of our poverty, not out of this abundance of wealth we had after centuries of enslavement. And then when we have to compete then against all this wealth that has been hoarded, yeah. right? So yeah. of course there's the older universities with direct ties to race-based child slavery, mm -hmm. but there's a whole slew of other predominantly white institutions that have benefited from advantages in society, whether through law or, or custom, right? So anyway, they have all this money and compared to black institutions, we, we were broke as a joke and trying to do yeah. as much and better as with much little. With with far less. Far less. So so were they right? Yeah, was Dion right? Was Ed Reed right? The conditions are less than ideal because they've been perennially under-resourced. Okay. But I'll also say, and this might be controversial even to some pro-black folks is one of the poverties 
of resources isn't just financial or material, it's experiential. Hmm. So in the sense of if you have an institution and the personnel there, none of them have been trained, none of them have seen something different, none of them have worked in a, a different environment that, that um, maybe functions differently, then you also don't have that within institutional knowledge. Hmm. So here's the, here's the balancing act that we have as, as folks who love black people and black institutions is to recognize the obstacles and the challenges that we face, especially in terms of resources, but still call for the highest standard possible hmm. and still pursue excellence even in the face of those obstacles. Okay, we got to unpack this because there's a lot there's a lot there. So let's take a break. We're going to come back and and I want you to talk a little bit more about this cuz I feel like you're you're touching on something a lot of people will resonate with. We'll be right back here on Pass the Mic. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pass the Mic, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash pass the mic we appreciate you so there's a whole lot of layers to this with um deon sanders and jackson state ed reed and bethune cookman what i was saying is this tension between dealing with the reality that you've got and then always aspiring to to an even higher standard. Um, that's one of the difficult parts. Like for instance, in my classes, uh, we have students who are mostly coming from the local area. Um, not all of them, what you would say is college ready, not because they lack any ability, but because they've come from school environments that, that face some of the same challenges as mm -hmm. HBCUs, yeah. right? Uh, in terms of under-resourcing, lack of the personnel, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this tension between meeting folks where they are and with the tools and resources they've got and also recognizing we want you to be able to achieve at the highest levels, yeah. which is going to take a standard. So I think for both Deion Sanders and Ed Reed, they're calling their institutions to a higher standard, but with Ed Reed, so much of it wasn't whether what he was saying was accurate. Hmm. Players are saying it was in, in many instances. It was how he did it. Right. And there's a certain way you have to come into and respect black institutions and particularly the people involved. Yes. So can you imagine what it felt like to be a staff, administrator, faculty at Bethune-Cookman, and here's this high wattage coach getting on social media live and saying and blasting your institution, just blasting the institution, putting your putting your uh, your business out on front street. <laughs> I'm saying so. A lot of people was like, "Well, it's not that what he said was wrong. It was like this is an insider conversation. Mm -hmm. There's a million ways you could have done that, 
without putting the whole school on blast for anybody who can log in. I remember when our church did a, uh, it was during the pandemic, we did a series on family dynamics or um, we did a series on basically going back, going back to go forward, you know, kind of a Sankofa principle. And one of the sermons was on family dynamics, Mm -hmm. like going back to your family, you know, and where God tells Jacob basically to go back and have this encounter with Esau, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, go back to that place, right? And it's like, oh, I kind of don't want to do that, you know? I want to move on. And so we had this, uh, I had this virtual conversation with Dr. Christina Edmondson, and she talked about how oftentimes we leave our our homes right and then when we're gone for a while we become our noses become numb to the smells of of what we have experienced while we're in that environment when we leave for a while and come back we we smell things we didn't smell before yeah. right we see things we didn't see before yeah. because we've seen more of the world and she said it's very it's very important to be careful just because you can smell certain things and just because you can see certain things that other people, even within the house, can't, you have to be careful about how you address That's right. what you smell and what you see. Yeah. And it was such wisdom in terms of the the inner human family dynamics, but I think it's also wisdom in terms of our community as well. Absolutely. That when we come back, it's not like this, it's not like, and especially those of us who have experienced extended time in predominantly white churches or organizations, yes. for us to come back into black-led institutions and and not to hold standard, because excellence and standard is crucial and important, but to come back in and expect something. Mm. You know, I've experienced this as as someone who is relaunching, planting a church, right? That certain people come in with expectation that things will be done right, already. Right. And we're relaunching. So I know we had a church before, but it's like we're starting from ground zero. Yeah. You know, we're having to build up, and it takes time to build up these these um, structural structures within the institution. Right. It takes time to build up these systems within the organization. It takes time. We're we're building. We're growing. We're new, and people come in want you to be ready. Yeah. Want you to be like the other church that they and had want and want you to be at the standard that they believe is the best standard, without knowing the resources you have or don't. And one of the things that I struggle with in in both of these cases is, if you sign up to be a part of a black led organization, institution, church, you have to count the cost of what you are signing up for. There you go. And 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 what I mean by that isn't so much that you accept whatever and it's fine, it doesn't matter, you give them a pass, an excuse. But what I mean is, especially from people who are, especially from those of us who are rich and famous. Uh-huh. I am not rich and famous, so I don't have this. <laughs> I say those of us like I'm one of them. I'm not. But for my heart hurt because Dion and, and Ed Reed are some of the greatest athletes to ever walk the face of the earth. Some of the greatest athletes to ever pick up a football. And they have experienced great success, great wealth, great achievement, great accolades. And when you enter into a space 
with the idea that God told you to come back or God has put you on this mission. You have to count the cost and you have to say change will always look harder for the people who haven't experienced what I have. Yes. And for the people who haven't seen what I've seen and the people who haven't been where I've been and the people who haven't had. In some cases, you have to understand that it wasn't just talent and gift. It's also the grace and providence of God Mm. that causes the ball to bounce in your direction Mm. in ways that maybe it wouldn't have for others. But the talent may have been the same for them. I'm not saying it was. These are these are once in one, one of a kind, you know, generational gifts. But I'm just saying you also have the humility to understand, no, God blessed me with these opportunities. And I was in the right place at the right time with the right people. It was providential. It was not all me. And so you enter into institutions with humility. You enter into situations with humility that says, yeah, I'm going to be brash and confident and bold. But behind the scenes, I'm going to really try to work to change the foundations of the institution, to change the foundations of the situation. And that takes much longer, harder work. Yeah. But I think that's the work that God has called a lot of us to in a way that is uncomfortable. And it also means we might not look as successful to other people or we might not be as successful to other people in comparison to what we could. You could have done this. You could have done that. And I think it's tough. I think you know, anybody that makes a material move to better and improve their financial situation, to better provide for their family, um, to be in an environment where they can pay their bills, where they don't have to live under stress, especially if you're black and you're a black man, you're a black woman. Um, I completely understand that. I support that. Do that. Right. As long as it's not like doing something that's shameful or demeaning or illegal, like go, go for it. Like I get it. Right. But for those who have wealth, and for those who have privilege and for those who have, what does it look like to sacrifice opportunity mm. for the long game? And playing the long game sometimes is I sacrifice what could be a status boost here in order to get down with the people and do the slow work of change yeah. and adjustment. And I'm not just going to take the cream of the crop, but I'm going to get down in it with the people who may be opposing me because this is the reality. We don't know. Jackson State, Bethune, they may have been opposing them. They may have made their lives much, much harder, much, much more difficult. 100%, I, I acknowledge it. But sometimes if you sacrifice that bigger opportunity, that that the more rewarding work yeah. It's to get down and change the institution from the inside that's out. That's right. That's right. And that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, mysterious work that God breathes on mm. in ways that people don't understand. God mm. breathes on faithfulness. Mm. God breathes on it. God does something unique to, to the faithful. Wow. God does something unique for the faithful. And I think sometimes we really are convinced that if I separate myself and I get in a, a different space and if I, it's going to work here, it's going to work there. And, and the kingdom doesn't work like that type of human math. Yeah. The kingdom, God uses what? The foolish things of the mm. world Shame to, watch. to confound those who yeah. are wise. God uses the weak things of the world to subvert the, the ones who are mighty. 
if I have more, mm. maybe God will breathe on your less. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right, preacher. Hey, man, I, I, I'm just, will maybe, on your list. but maybe he will if you're found faithful in doing what he's called you to do. And so my heart hurts because sometimes I think we we send messages to people that ah, it's got to be more. It's got to be. And maybe it doesn't have to be. Some cases, I think God does do some unique, mysterious things. Sometimes there are opportunities you take them. I'm not saying don't take the opportunity. But then sometimes, you know, God calls you to Simmons. Mm. You know, you, 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 Jamar, you could be anywhere. Oh, you could go here. You could go there. But no, like, I'm going I'm to I'm be with my people. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you say counting the cost, that's very, very real. Um, we're of a generation that was born into desegregation, not authentic integration, but desegregation in that different opportunities open and available to us that weren't to our parents' generation and certainly not our grandparents' generation. And so we, we, we can enter those spaces. I can go to a place like the University of Notre Dame. I can go to different, um, places that are predominantly white and that not being unrelated to the fact that they're well resourced. Right. And I can see what it's like there. And honestly, with more resources, with more institutional knowledge, you can do things at a higher level yeah, and absolutely. a higher degree, right? Um, and that's not wrong or bad in and of itself. But when you said the, the thing about humility, to know that not everybody's seen what you've seen. And right. the other thing is, and I have to really remind myself of this because I've been blessed to be in a lot of incredible spaces, is to realize the journey that people have been on. Oof. So where you're entering into, you don't know what it was like before. Yeah. So they may have grown by leaps and bounds, which to the people involved and in dirt under their fingernails working for change, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You don't know what we've been through to get to where we are now. And no, we're not where we want to be, but the last thing we need is somebody coming in here and disrespecting the work, the labor, the effort that we've that already, we've already put already in. Done. Yeah. So I think what was so really troublesome, really difficult for folks like me and others with Dion's departure is it felt like an, an effort interrupted. Mm. So after just three years, he had instigated so much it was just a, a complete sort of turnaround and shift for the football team in that department which as you said could have been institutionalized to some degree could have come to characterize the entire university but we'll never know yeah because he up and left and i think that was what was so hard for people and it gets back to the dignity thing right Folks at Jackson State and in the city of Jackson, alumni and supporters recognize the value of this institution. Yeah. But what is so frustrating and part of counting the cost of working at a black institution is to be constantly overlooked and underappreciated. Yes. Doing what you're doing, doing it to the high degree, <laughs> of best, of, best you can um, with what you've been given. And nobody recognizes, all the attention goes to the power five school, all the right. attention goes to the well-funded school. And meanwhile, you're doing more with less and not getting anywhere close yeah. to the kind of recognition. Then somebody comes along, shines a spotlight on, doesn't make you great, shines, shines a spotlight on how great you already are. And then that spotlight shifts again. Yeah. Follows that person. There is yeah. much more that is happening when you invest in black institutions than bringing material resources. Right. You're investing in the dignity of the people there 
And so that means there's much more involved when you leave. And I say that as somebody who's at an HBCU, has no idea what the future will hold. Yeah, absolutely. But rec- just just trying to at least honor yeah. the, the, the capaciousness, the expansiveness of what it means to be involved in a black institution. Yeah. And, and this is what I'll say in closing, Jay. I think I, I'm at this stage of my life where I'm, I'm charting out what my life will look like. You know, what will my life look like and what will it be in the future? I think I'm at this stage of life where I don't want to take an opportunity. I want to bring people with me to an opportunity. Hmm. And I don't just want to walk into a door. I want to walk into the door and hold it open. Yeah. And I want to walk hand in hand. I want, to, I want them to have to refashion the door because there's so many of us coming. Hmm. Right. Like I feel like there's this level of it's not just about me. It's about more than me. And I've always felt that way. But I think more so in this, you know, kind of transitioning into what is life going to look like moving forward? I, I want I want to create space for more and I want to be the catalyst for creating space for more, not just for me. And part of the challenge of being, you know, young and black and for some of us young, gifted and black (laughs) is we have opportunities and opportunities are, are seductive. They are seductive, but they're also seductive gods to worship. And I think the greater call of the kingdom is my community comes with me. And so this is the. This is the idea of, you know, Dion goes to Pac-12. Look at it. We won. You know, what, what, I saw it. I see it all on, on Facebook. What game we going to? What game we going to? What are we going to get some Colorado gear? You know, doing good and well, you ain't never been to Colorado. Anyway, we're we going to get this Colorado gear. Yeah, and all this. I get it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> Support your people. I'm not saying that. But what would it have looked like if in 10 years, yeah. Dion's able to say, oh, no. Jackson State is now part of one of these bigger conferences because the program's so big, it outgrew where it was. And so now the program comes with. Right. So I don't just go. The program comes. My people come with me. And I think some of us have to admit that, you know, maybe we've short circuited a call. Maybe the call. Ooh, come on, man. Maybe the call was actually for us to carry the Moses, carry the weight of of leading the people. There's so many people, they got so many problems. Everything. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna help you with structure. I'm gonna help you. But but if Moses has said, I want to deal with everybody. Let me just take a couple of y'all, and then we'll take you. But no, you were the nation. It's the nation. We take them to a new, show them something they've never seen before. And frankly, they might grab you and pull you back and make you feel so overwhelmed that you might not see it yourself. But because you were faithful, mm, got to breathe on it. People behind you will see what they, they wouldn't have been able to see if you weren't faithful. If you didn't do what you were supposed to do, your, your grandkids won't see it. They won't be able to, to witness and live in it and touch it and see God's greatness in it. 
And maybe that's the issue. Maybe we just want it for us. Ooh. And I'm just at this place of I don't despise those who want it for them. I don't despise that. I don't. Like I, I used to, and I've, I've hopefully grown past that because that's immature, right? We celebrate wins. We celebrate victories, no matter where they come from. Praise God. But I wanna. I want more than that. I don't want it for me. I want it for us. I feel like this is going to be a theme. This is going to pop up in our conversations. On I think so, too. I think this is my 2023 mood. I don't know, man. <laughs> but so that's what hurt my heart, man. And, and you know, best of luck to Dion, his, his sons, Ed, everybody. I mean, we need more examples. But I just, I feel, I do feel like I, I want us, I want more. More than just them. The call got to be bigger than a person. What if the call is for people? All right, I'm done. <laughs> Y'all, y'all, y'all be cool. Y'all be cool. This episode is brought to you in part by Ministry Pivot with Russell St. Bernard. This podcast features important conversations with industry leaders such as Nona Jones, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin, and so many more. Visit ministrypivot.com or on all streaming platforms.